Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends. Bill Press here. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. I want to be sure you know my new book is out. Uh, Not so subtle. The title, Trump Must Go. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one, maybe, to keep him. It's available anywhere books are sold. Um, Best place to get it is go to our website, BillPressShow.com. Special discount there for ordering the book and a way that you can add your own reasons to dump Trump. Let's do it now. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And the first big showdown vote is today. Uh, This morning, ladies and gentlemen, and we will smoke out Jeff Flake and Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and Joe Manchin. What do you say? Great to see you today. How about it? It is a Friday, a big Friday. October 5, 2018. Good to have you with us here on the Bill Press Show, wrapping up the whole Kavanaugh nomination process this weekend with a scheduled cloture vote on the floor. Remember, even though there are lots of still lots of unanswered questions, the Senate Judiciary Committee voted to recommend him to the full Senate last Friday. Uh, today, one week later, they will take a cloture vote on the floor. In other words, the vote, shall we proceed to vote on his nomination tomorrow, yes or no? If that vote goes, uh, they need 51 votes if they get them. That moves uh, into a confirmation vote tomorrow, set for tomorrow afternoon. Why the hell? Who knows? At 5 p.m. tomorrow afternoon. We're keeping track of that with you, and uh, we'll bring you up to date on all the latest. A great big no vote yesterday from Senator Heidi Heitkamp out in North Dakota. At this point, Republicans do not have the 51 votes they need. Send us your comments on Twitter. We want to hear from you what you think about this whole mess, this whole circus. Yes, it is a Republican, partisan, political, ugly sham of a, and a circus. Your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Lots to talk about. Great lineup of guests. But first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. How you feeling this morning, Bill? You a little stressed I'm out? I'm feeling, no. I'm You're not feeling, stressed out at all? Nope. Feeling great. Well, uh, I have to tell you, there's a banana, new... had half an apple. There you go. Had a little iced tea. There's a new What's study from. The Everything's great. <laughs> oh, yeah, everything's wonderful. Uh, there's a new study by Zipia, website Zipia, that took a look at where people are most stressed. Which state is the most stressed? They took a look at long commute times, unemployment, hours worked, population density, home price to income ratio. New York. New York is not even in the top 10, but you're close. 
New Jersey. New Jersey is number one. New Jersey is number one. Followed by, this was so weird to me, but when you factor in like the unemployment and the, uh, and the uh, income inequality, a lot of them are in the South. Georgia, Florida, Louisiana, oh. North Carolina, Virginia, Mississippi, all in the top ten. In fact, Georgia is number two on the list. Three is Florida. Four is California. Oh, come on. Let me tell you something. California is not stressed out. <laughs> I've okay. had a lot of Californians, and I no. can't say that they're very stressed California people. California is what I, not stressed yeah. out. I mean, hey, if you want to... Let me take you to the, bleach, to the beach in Bolinas, okay? <laughs> and then you tell me Say goodbye to your stress. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, how about this? Two iconic beverage brands are joining forces. Harpoon <laughs> Brewery, which is sort of, again, an iconic brewery yeah. in New England, is making a coffee porter beer. They're using, of course, Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts, It's yeah. the Dunkin' Donuts no, coffee no, porter. Dunkin'. Oh, you're right. You're right. It's not Dunkin' Donuts. Duh. You're right. You're right. It's the new Harpoon Dunkin' coffee porter. They are using uh, Dunkin' Donuts or Dunkin's. I'm going to get used to that. Dunkin's espresso blend coffee with their craft uh, beer. So they're going to have a beer out that you can get a little drunk, get a little buzz from. Get a little caffeine buzz, get a little, get a little alcohol buzz. Okay, I'll never have one. No? <laughs> no? Because I don't drink coffee and I don't really and like You don't really beer. drink beer. Well, yeah, this is not exactly made for you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. By the way, uh, we were going to talk about all the Brett Kavanaugh stuff. Lots of protests yesterday, including a lot of arrests. Some notable arrests. Comedian Amy Schumer and model actress uh, Emily Ratowski were both arrested Whoa. yesterday here in Washington, D.C. 300 people were arrested. At totally. the Hart Building, huh? Yeah. 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 Good for them. Proud of them. This is the Bill Press Show. And a great big no vote from Senator Heidi Heitkamp from North Dakota. She said not a political vote at all, a vote of conscience. She doesn't care what impact it may have on her re-election campaign. She says her conscience will not allow her to vote yes on Brett Kavanaugh, given what she's seen. Good for her. Let's just hope that Susan Collins and Heidi Heitkamp and Jeff Flake have a conscience and a soul as well. I'm not sure they do. Hey, hello, everybody. I hope they prove us wrong. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Happy Friday. Good to see you this Friday. Good to be with you. Friday, October 5, 2018, here on the Bill Press Show. That's me, and welcome to the program. You're very, very much a part of the program. Love hearing from you uh, and look forward to your comments on all the news of the day, and there's lots and lots to talk about. Of course, <coughs> pardon me, this is the showdown. The showdown for uh, the Brett Kavanaugh nomination. He went up uh, on the Wall Street Journal today to try to uh, soften his tone. Say, he's so sorry he said all those mean things. Yeah, well, you said them, dude. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the Senate votes today. We'll be talking a lot about that to, uh, to, on uh, just about three and a half hours from now as to whether they will move forward with a vote tomorrow. Uh, and if they do, the vote tomorrow is scheduled at this time for 5 p.m. 
We'll bring you up to date again on all of the above. Scott Wong joins us, covers a, does a great job covering the Congress for The Hill. He's been right there outside of that uh, secure room where the one copy of the FBI report was available yesterday for viewing by Republican and Democratic senators. And then Niall Stanage, uh, managing editor from the columnist and managing editor for The Hill, will be here as a friend of Bill for the entire second hour, and we'll be joined by Van Newkirk from The Atlantic. And, of course, again, you, our key witnesses, our key guests, send us your comments on Twitter, what you think about the news of the day at BP Show. As we join, whether you're uh, watching us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, whether you are joining us on Free Speech TV nationwide, or joining us on the radio statewide in Indiana, where Joe Donnelly has also said he's going to vote no on Kavanaugh, statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks. And Chicago, hello, 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 Greater Chicago, WCPT, here we are with all of you. Yes, indeed, unusual, um, very unusual for a Supreme Court justice to do what he did yesterday. Uh, this is the latest. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh recognizing that that rant of his, uh, ugly partisan rant, threatening Democratic senators, insulting Democratic senators, insisting there was going to be payback if they voted against him, blaming it all on a conspiracy cooked up by Bill and Hillary Clinton. He recognizes that that even turned off a lot of Republicans. So he went on the uh, to put an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal where he says he is he, he recognizes his comments were a little too sharp, a little too emotional. But he said, you realize I was just speaking for my mom and my dad and my wife and especially my daughters. And so I got just a little carried away. Give me a break. You know, I, I won't be the first person to make this point, but anybody that has been around alcoholics <laughs> or oh, abusers mm. or both, because mm. a lot of times they go hand in hand. Uh, this is not unfamiliar behavior. No, you no. act completely out of line. Yeah, you do and something then, very bad. Oh, you say I'm, something very yeah. bad. You do something very bad, and then you immediately. I'm so. I didn't mean it. I'm, I'm so, so sorry. So I just was sorry. caught up in the moment. And emotions got the yeah, best of me. I'm so so sorry. This is not who I am. Oh yes, it is. And remember, he made the choice to go on Fox News, unlike any other Supreme Court nominee alongside of his wife, and defend himself and try to knock down these accusations. And now he himself made the choice. Fox News and the Wall Street Journal editorial page, you could not get to more extreme right-wing platforms in this country. They are the two leading ones. Well, I guess he could have gone on Breitbart. That might have been <laughs> worse. But he, so again, he showed himself as nothing more than a political hack a politi hack political candidate. What do they do when they get in trouble? They write an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, and they go on Fox News. That's exactly. Or if they're not right-wing Republicans, they may go on CNN or they may go on 60 Minutes or whatever. This is what political candidates do when they get in trouble. And Brett Kavanaugh, again, is proving for him this is just all a political campaign. Well, one thing we learned is that, so that op-ed is up this morning where he says, uh, again, I said some things, uh, I guess I said some things I should not have said. Mm -hmm. It's an old Willie Nelson song. <laughs> but, 
you're always on my mind, but <laughs> whatever, there's a line in there about said some things I shouldn't have said, too. Uh, at any rate, uh, his rant did cause one person to change his mind. Uh, a great hero of mine, former Supreme Court justice I've met a couple of times, and I interviewed him once, the great John Paul Stevens down in West Palm Beach, Florida, where he is retired. Remember, he re- resigned from the court. Uh, and he said yesterday, um, told reporters down there, this is not the kind of person we need on the court. No, I don't think it's the best we can do. We, we certainly ought to be, do, be able to, to do better because it's an issue of credibility that should be resolved on its merits, not on the basis of uh, political speeches. Political speeches and uh, Justice Stevens uh, admits that at first, you know, he was going along. That's the way it goes. You're a Republican president. You get to appoint your Supreme Court justice unless there's something really, really wrong. So at first he was saying... Yeah, this is Trump's guy. So sure, uh, he, 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 let's. It's okay to have him on the court. He changed his mind when he saw that testimony last Thursday. His performance during the hearings caused me to change my mind. Yep. You know, th- th- this might get buried a little bit, you know, in the national coverage of the Kavanaugh stuff today. But that's remarkable. It is. That's Huge. remarkable. Yeah. And Stevens is, by the way, he's. I don't even forget. I even forget who appointed him. But he is a very middle-of-the-road, moderate judge, a, a, a progressive, certainly a liberal, but I just say maybe not moderate, but very reasoned, very well-respected by both sides, got along with everybody, just did his job. For him to even come out and comment on this is huge. And to say that that political speech turned him off is really huge as well. And we heard from one of the undecideds yesterday she said in no uncertain way she is a big no vote. Uh, lots of questions about what Heidi Heitkamp might do because of the five Democrats from red states who appear to be the most threatened, she is the number one most threatened. So everybody thought that the worst, the last thing that Heidi Heitkamp would do would be to uh, go against Donald Trump on this issue. Uh, uh-uh. Listen to her talking to a reporter yesterday. The process has been bad, um, but at the end of the day, you have to make a decision, and I've made that decision. And that decision will be what, Senator? I will be voting no on Judge Kavanaugh. No on Judge Kavanaugh, and she insisted again, this is not a political measure for her at all. She doesn't look at what's going to do for her uh, reelection chances uh, in the midterms. She is, her conscience tells her, no vote. It's a lifetime appointment. This isn't a political decision. If this were a political decision for me, I certainly would be deciding this the other way. Yeah. That's a pretty remarkable admission. That's an incredible admission, yeah. But, uh, and, and, and really shows somebody with some substance, with some soul, and with a conscience. And you got to wonder about a lot of her colleagues in the United States Senate. Look, it's it's a really tough spot to be in, and I get that. I I would argue Good for that, her. Yeah, I, I would argue that this is probably the stronger position for her to run on. You know that you're going to vote uh, no on Kavanaugh. I would too, but that's that's counter to the accepted wisdom, yeah. which is since he might get confirmed anyway, and since she's up for re-election, and since the Trumpers are mean and angry and ugly. You got to vote for Kavanaugh. You can't take a chance. You can't. That's the thing. You can't take a chance. In fact, as we remember, Jeff Flake famously said, "If it were him, and he were a election, he wouldn't take a chance." Yeah. He admitted yeah. that he is a coward. 
This is something that we never ever see in in politics anymore, right? Like right. it's not a calculated yep. move. It's not done to try and get yeah. more votes. It's just like this <laughs> is this is the right thing to do. And we haven't seen it from one Republican senator so far, not one. Now there's still a few undecided, and that gets us to what the process is today. And by the way, I've got to say so so among Democrats, let's stick there for a second. I mentioned there are five. The five most threatened Democrats, okay? So Heidi Heitkamp, John Tester, Montana, Joe Donnelly, Indiana, Claire McCaskill, Missouri, all four of those have said they're voting no. There's only one left. Joe Manchin from West Virginia, one one Democrat left. And by the way, Joe Manchin is the safest of all five of those, without a doubt. Former governor, incumbent senator, fits. West Virginia like a glove, very popular in West Virginia. If any of them can get away politically now, we're just looking, if you look just politically, anyone could get away, survive politically by voting against Kavanaugh. It is Joe Manchin. And pardon me, I hope he takes a little lesson from Heidi Heitkamp. It's not as big a, a big leap for him. It's not a big as risk for him, uh, but it is also a matter of conscience uh, and a matter of soul. Uh, so then that leaves the Republicans, and we're going to find out today at 1030 uh, East Coast time today, uh, Mitch McConnell has scheduled a cloture vote. Now, since they did away, so you, just so you understand how this happens, uh, since for Gorsuch, <laughs> they did away with the need to have um, 60 votes, no filibuster, in other words, for Supreme Court nominees, uh, they only need 51 votes to move to a full vote tomorrow. Uh, that means that today will be the first time that all the senators are going to have to stand up and vote. There is, of course, the possibility that somebody could vote yes today to move it forward and then no tomorrow. Very, very unlikely. Most likely, their vote today is going to indicate how they'll vote tomorrow. At this point, keep hope alive. Republicans do not have 51 votes. They need 51, or they need at least 50 for Mike Pence to break the tie. And the outstanding votes, so they're up to, I guess they've got 40, 48, I guess, right? If, if my math is right. Uh, let's assume Joe Manchin votes no. Then they got 48 votes. So they need Jeff Flake. They need Susan Collins. They need Lisa Murkowski. They're the three Republicans that we have yet to hear from, and they're the three Republicans that will decide the future of the Supreme Court of the United States uh, and many, many issues for decades to come for all Americans. Uh, so they haven't indicated how they're going to how they're going to vote. Um, they've all looked at the report. Jeff Flake and Susan Collins both said it seemed that the report did its job, but they still didn't indicate how they're going to vote. So we've got they're, they're going to be flushed out uh, in about just a little over three hours from now. And now there's one more complication, which is they need still another vote because one Republican is going to stay home. Steve Daines, who is 
the other guy from Montana that we never hear about, right? It's John Tester and Steve Daines. Yeah. I never heard his name until this morning. I had no idea who he was. No, no. But Steve Daines. Sorry, Montana. <laughs> Steve Daines' daughter is getting married on Saturday. And he says he's going to walk his daughter down the aisle no matter what. He would be a, a, a yes vote. He called Kavanaugh and said, I'm sorry. This is more important to me. Hope you make it. He said he hopes his fellow Republicans and a couple of Democrats will put Kavanaugh over the top. But he is good for him. He is putting family over party. He's gone to Montana to walk his daughter down the aisle. You know and what's amazing about this? Is that he- would be like when John McCain, sorry, but John McCain, remember, was out and wasn't there for a couple of key votes. Yeah. And they thought, you know, well, what do you got to do? You have to. Well, so Steve Daines, out of action. Yeah. He told McConnell about this a, a while back, That's apparently. Stupid McConnell. And why Scheduling would you? Vote. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he scheduled this vote before he knew that he had the votes. And he knew that this guy was not going to be there, which makes it even harder. Because McConnell's in a big rush, as yeah. as we've seen so many times, to ramrod this through, to railroad it through, and um, and Mc- McConnell amazing. McConnell may end up with egg on his face. I hope he does. I hope he does. First of all, I hope he loses his vote. But uh, even in here, I hope he has to delay it. He could he could call it on Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, totally. No, no, no. He's got to do this grandstand dramatic thing of having a Saturday vote. You go back and look how many times. The Senate has been in session on Saturday in the last two years or four years or 20 years. Right. <laughs> Probably twice. You count on it in one hand. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No. This is a McConnell big grandstand, big thing to show how, whoa, you know, how important we are or whatever. And it may backfire. It may really blow up in his face. Uh, meanwhile, we got this uh, FBI report, right? What a joke. What a total, total, total sham. I mean, as some of the Democrats said yesterday— by the way, there was uh, there were protests galore in the I, I I my I take my hat off. Listen to them. They took over the Hart Office Building yesterday. The scenes from inside the Hart Office Building were insane yesterday. I know, and they have been from the very beginning. I told you when the first the first day of the hearing, I was down there in the Hart Office Building, and it was just a, the, the the lobby was just packed yesterday, even more so. And you know what's inter- what, what, what's kind of funny about that is that Chuck Grassley's office is right off the lobby, right? So you cannot, I mean, Grassley cannot get in and out of his office without having to go through that crowd. Uh, and um, they were they were there yesterday in great force. Um, Elizabeth Warren spoke at uh, at one point. Uh, she's had it. She's angry. I am angry on behalf of women who have been told to sit down and shut up one time too many. And across the street in the U.S. Capitol building, uh, downstairs in this special locked room, the senators were allowed in, Republicans one hour, then Democrats another hour, to take a a look at this absolutely ridiculous report prepared by the FBI. Uh, Again, they were going to say they were supposed to take a week and examine uh, and talk to anybody who could help with any evidence at all to shed some light on this for the senators. They did not. They did not because the White House controlled the investigation. Uh, So far as we know, we've identified now, they actually talked to all of one, two, three, four, six people, six people, uh, of course, to Mark Judge, 
uh, to Leland Kaiser um, and to P.J. Smith. They're the three people that Dr. Christine Blasey Ford said were at this house together with her and Brett Kavanaugh. They also talked to Deborah Ramirez, the second accuser, the woman from his classmate up at Yale. And then they talked to two other uh, high school graduates, high school, high school classmates, who were mentioned on um, Brett Kavanaugh's calendar, uh, a guy named Kim, Tim Galdet and Chris Garrett. Not accused of anything wrong. They were just supposedly, according to Kavanaugh's calendar, at some party <coughs> getting skis. Um, and, uh, but that's it. They did not talk to Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. The FBI did not. FBI did not. Why? Because the White House told them not to. They did not talk to Brett Kavanaugh. Why? Because the White House told them not. No, we heard them. We heard the two of them testify. But there were lots of questions that the FBI could have zeroed in on to clarify the place, the time, who was there. Did they know each other or not? No. But you cannot get into those things if you don't talk to them. And we learned yesterday uh, that the White House did not talk to Christine Blasey Ford because they knew that the FBI couldn't talk to her without talking to him. And if they talked to him, they might be able to press him for some details and get him to explain some of the contradictions in his testimony, which, of course, the senators could not. It's hard to do when you only get five minutes. And he, if, in talking, think about this. Were he have, would he have talked to the FBI? He can't treat them the way he treated those Democratic senators. Right. He, he knows he, what's, he couldn't he say knows to some agent. Oh, do you drink? Did you black out? Right. If you lie to the FBI, he he knows that. If he, he lies to the FBI, that's yeah. he's toast. He knew if he lied to the FBI, he knew he couldn't insult them. He knew he couldn't filibuster like he did with the Senate and refused to answer the question. So the White House did not want the FBI to talk to him. And since they didn't want to talk to him, they didn't want him to talk to Christine Blasey Ford either because they knew that would look one-sided. Plus, the FBI did not talk to, because the White House told them they could not, to dozens, literally dozens of people from Yale and from Georgetown Prep and Holton Arms, the two high schools, uh, who wanted to talk to the FBI, who reached out to the FBI, and who said they had information the FBI should should, should listen to, should hear FBI did not contact them. So it was a total, total sham from the beginning, plus the fact that there's only one copy. We can't see it. They can't talk about it. Senator Tim Kaine from Virginia made that point when he came out yesterday uh, and said the whole thing is a joke. I'm not allowed to discuss it. The public can't see it. It's a complete sham. Senator Jeff Merkley from Oregon uh, made, made the same point. Here's what they should have done. If the FBI was pursuing this on their own, they would have talked to those individuals and found out what they knew, how they knew it. They would have reported on all that. Yeah, they would have reported on all that. Uh, They didn't, Jeff Merkley adds, because who was calling the shots? The decision on on preventing a a reasonable look into these issues uh, came directly from the White House. Yep, directly from the White House. And you know what really pissed me off is... So Jeff Flake, again, we've seen, um, tries to be a hero here but doesn't have the balls to be a hero. Um, he would just—he ought to just say, if he, if he were for real, if he had a conscience, this is a vote of conscience. If he had a conscience, he would just say, no, no I'm voting no. Instead, um, he said yesterday, well, I looked at it and there is no corroborating evidence for Dr. Blasey Ford 
thus far. Uh, we've seen no incredible uh, corroboration. No corroboration. Well, you know what? Again, you can't get corroborating evidence if you don't talk to corroborating witnesses. Period. That's Duh. It. Bottom line. That's it. Right. If you say you can't have a week after all, you can only have five days. And you can only talk to six people. That's all the ones that we tell you you can talk to. You, what do you expect? You expect a, a joke of a report, and that's exactly what they got. It's just, it's nothing but an, an excuse. If they want to use it, and I'm afraid they will, it's a CYA, a cover-your-ass excuse for Jeff Flake, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski to vote yes on Brett Kavanaugh because now they can say, hey, we took an extra week. Not really. Took extra time to let the FBI do its report. And once again, the FBI lets itself be used as a political puppet for the Republican Party. They did so under James Comey with the, with the Hillary Clinton emails, dragging that investigation out. James Comey violating all the rules of the Justice Department and coming out and holding that news conference in, uh, in July 2016 without asking the attorney general first, just going out on his own and, and blasting Hillary Clinton, saying she did nothing illegal, but it was reckless, it was stupid, it was blah, 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 whatever he said, and then putting a saying that was closed and then reopening the investigation 10 days before the election. Total political operation, which, whether he intended it or not, helped elect Donald Trump and hurt Hillary Clinton, and now the FBI is doing it again, helping Donald Trump's Supreme Court nominee and hurting the cause of justice and freedom in this country by putting this guy who doesn't deserve to be on the court on the court thanks to the FBI. Zero, I mean, we've talked about how Donald Trump, uh, uh, what, what, what impact this process has had on the reputation of the U.S. Senate, destroyed, reputation of the Supreme Court, destroyed, and now the reputation of the FBI, destroyed. Uh, Donald Trump, meanwhile, was out in um, Minnesota last night. You go to Minnesota, who do you think of? Senator, Former Senator Al Franken. Now, remember, and I don't think he should have done this, but Al Franken, when he was accused of sexual harassment, he, under pressure from some fellow Democrats, uh, shame on them, he resigned. Donald Trump says, basically, you should have done like me. You should have called them sluts. You should have sued them. You should have attacked them. But Al Franken didn't. Here's Donald Trump. What did he fold up like a wet rag, huh? Man. Man, he was gone so fast. He was gone so fast. I don't want to mention Al Franken's name, okay? So I won't mention he was gone. He was gone so fast. It was like, oh, he did something. Oh, I resign. I quit. I quit. Wow. He was gone, and he was replaced by somebody that nobody ever heard of. Yeah, Trump is saying, why don't you do like me? Just deny it and attack, right? And by the way, sadly, it's worked for Donald Trump so far. So that's his point. You know, the, the, that crowd there. This is bad as a crowd that he had in Mississippi when he yeah. was the night before, two nights before, when he was mocking uh, Christine Blasey. You have Ford. to imagine who would go to a Trump rally at this point. You know, I mean, he's such an unpopular president. 
Uh, a lot of Republicans don't like him. So even in a state that's considered to be, I guess, Minnesota's sort of a purple state, but yeah. I, I would yeah. say it leans more Democratic than Republican, <laughs> uh, even in a state <laughs> like that, you can still get enough crazies out. You can get enough crazies out for the KKK yeah. in some states. Truly. Right? If you make it, boom, that, Truly, you tell yeah. them that's what you're doing. Uh, just one final note before we uh, take a quick break here and joined by Scott Wong from The Hill. Remember uh, Donald Trump last summer when he was in Europe, he went up to a Turnberry golf course in uh, Scotland. Yes, indeed, to give them a shot in the arm because they've been losing money at uh, the Turnberry golf course in uh, Scotland. It's one of three, I think, he owns in Scotland. He needed to put it back on the map and encourage people what a great golf course. While he was up there, he talked about what a great golf course it was, helped the business. Well, they just reported yesterday that uh, uh, last year uh, the Turnberry Golf Course lost $4.5 million. It is the <laughs> fourth year in a row that Turnberry has gone into red. So, ha-ha, um, <laughs> <laughs> too bad. And, of course, the last year also the Donald Trump empire uh, closed, shut down its hotels, or the hotels were taken, the name was taken off the name of Three hotels in Panama, in Toronto, and Soho. Things ain't so good in the Donald Trump business empire. Oh, let's take a look at this whole process uh, on the Hill in the Senate for the Brett Kavanaugh, final days of the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation for the good friend Scott Wong, senior reporter for Congress on from the Hill. Coming up next, quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is on a Friday, October 5 of the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill. Joining you all across this land with the help today of the American Federation of Teachers, the good men and women of the, <clears throat> pardon me, the AFT, Teachers of America. By the way, they've been way out in front on the protest against the confirmation of uh, Brett Kavanaugh, uh, most of them centered there in the Hart Building uh, here in Washington, D.C., under the leadership of Randy Weingarten, making a difference in our classrooms every day, we salute the members of the AFT uh, and direct you to the website, aft.org. Thank you for their support of the program. Good time to mention also, I uh, talked to Rain, Randy Weingarten not so long ago about my new book, Trump Must Go, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump and maybe one to keep him. Go to our website, Bill Press Show for two reasons. Number one, to find out, in addition to your local bookstore and all that, where you can get a copy, signed copy of Trump Must Go, and also add your reasons to the top 100 because, let's face it, there are a lot more than 100. Every day we could add new reasons, and you can at BillPressShow.com. Join me in saying hello to Scott Wong from The Hill. I've seen Scott many times on the program, and boy, you've been busy lately. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see you, Scott. Good to see you, Bill. Good right. to be back. Let's check in first with. I just want to. By the way, I just want to walk up to all people who are covering Congress and just like give them a hug. I know it's, yeah, been, it's been a crazy <laughs> couple of years. By uh, the way, we're on Twitter. Yeah, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, taking your comments there <laughs> on any topic at any time. Uh, Tim says on the uh, arena that Donald Trump had in Minnesota. Uh, we were worried about the basket of deplorables. It turns out it's not a basket of deplorables. Deplorables. It's arenas full of them. Yeah. Uh, not bad. Uh, Tom says the FBI investigation was a sham. It was run by the Oval Office. Uh, 
Marcia says, if Joe Manchin votes for Brett Kavanaugh, he should be thrown out of the Democratic Party. I agree with that. And then we have a po- oh, and one other uh, uh, comment on this. There's a deeper investigation from this is from Dan, 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 the man says there oh. is a deeper investigative process on an episode of Law and Order SVU than what went into that FBI Kavanaugh report. <laughs> uh, thank you for those comments. And just a reminder, we put up a poll as often as we can on Twitter at BP oh, yes. Show. At BP Show, the poll this morning is: Will Kavanaugh be the next Supreme Court justice? Yes or no? That's all we're asking. Yes or no? Right now, sixty-two percent of you say yes. Thirty-eight percent of you say no. Oh, if you want to go up. vote, don't give up. Keep I hope agree. alive here. Come get on, up. yeah. Get, get up there on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, get your vote in uh, as quickly as you can, and we'll read the results a little bit later. Alrighty, thank you, Peter. So, Scott. Uh, Walk us through the, or we'll talk about votes next, but then walk us right. first through the process uh, to wind up this confirmation, at least the process that Mitch McConnell has put in place. What can we expect? What's going to happen? Well, T- starting today at 1030, right? In a, couple, in a few hours here, uh, the Senate is going to take a key procedural vote, a test vote, if you will, to limit debate on the Kavanaugh nomination. And what that means is it, it sets... The so-called cloture. Right. right? It, which it is sets, like close the debate and move to a final vote. Is that... Right. It's going to limit the debate to roughly 30 hours uh, setting up the final vote on Judge Kavanaugh. And that's expected to take place sometime tomorrow. This would be Saturday evening. And... So will there be... Uh, will the Senate... The, so they vote today, 1030, just vote, and then that's it, right? Right. Okay. Right. Uh, and then, well, let me stop there. At that time, senators are voting. What are they voting on? They're voting on whether to proceed to a final vote? They're voting on whether to move, right, to limit debate and move to the final vote. They will get a chance to have debate on the floor in the interim, but uh, they can agree, both sides can agree to move the vote up sooner. And as you know, Mitch McConnell all along has wanted to keep this process moving forward. So it has inched forward, and and this will take another step in that direction. But these are, we're now in the final steps of the Kavanaugh nomination. Okay. Now, uh, so let's say at 1030 they vote, and the vote is, they've got, they need 51, right? Right. So let's say they have 51 votes to move forward. Right. Does that mean debate on the final vote starts today? Yes. Yes. They will be debating today on whether or not... They're going to be debating. They could debate tomorrow morning, but the final vote... Leading up to a final vote at five. ...will take place Let's say the vote today is they don't have 51 votes to move forward. What happens? That's a big problem. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Does that mean it's over? uh, Unless somebody changes their mind. I mean, they can always bring it up. Mitch McConnell can always bring it up again. But that would be an enormous blow. We're not anticipating that would happen. But this thing has taken so many twists and turns. exactly. Exactly. Nobody, I think, can can accurately predict what is going to happen. But we think today that things are moving uh, towards confirmation. All right. Now, um, could someone vote yes on moving forward and then vote no? no on the final vote. Uh, 
technically you could. I don't think we're going to see that happen. Okay, but I mean, it's possible. Many, Again, there, yeah. there's so many twists and turns. <laughs> right. Right? M- many things are possible at this point. Okay. At this point, yes. does Mitch McConnell have 51 votes? At this point, right at this moment, 7.30 in the morning, he does not have 51 votes. Not 51 declared. He may right. have people yeah. promised votes to him. Okay. But all eyes, as you know, are, are on these sort of swing votes. Okay. Uh, the, so the f- among Democrats, right. we know about everybody but one, correct? Except Joe, Joe Manchin. Manchin. Joe Manchin. Right. Okay. Among Republicans, we know about everyone, I believe, but three, correct? Right. Lisa Murkowski, right. Susan Collins, Jeff Flake. Correct. This is the universe. So there are four votes, really. And, and it hasn't really changed in the last couple weeks. I mean, well, that has been, well, Heidi, Heidi Heitkamp, Heitkamp did, came out did yesterday. Come out. Right. Uh, that was a little bit surprising, but if you listen to to Heidkamp and what she said in in interviews with her local TV station, she said, "If it was purely a political decision, I yeah. would be voting yes for Judge Kavanaugh. This is not a political decision. Yeah. This is a decision of whether can can I look myself in the mirror every day." The vote of conscience. Let's hear that again, Peter. She said, uh, again, explained after saying, "I'm a no vote," that this was not political. It's a lifetime appointment. This isn't a political decision. If this were a political decision for me, I certainly would be deciding this the other way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, good for her. I mean, rare to see somebody say, right, I'm voting my conscience, not the politics. I think you also have to look at her vote in the, through the lens of what the polls are showing in North Dakota right now. This week, we saw some polls say that Kevin Kramer... The Republican congressman who's looking to unseat her is up by 12 points. And this is a a red state that went overwhelmingly for Donald Trump. Uh, Maybe she thinks she's toast. And and so at this point, she feels she has to vote her conscience. Uh, Maybe she thinks that this will rally women and moderates to to come out and vote for her, too. Whatever. I think she's saying politics be damned. I cannot in good conscience, good faith, put this man on right. the Supreme Court. Right. Uh, I think a contrast I mentioned earlier with Jeff Flake, who says if he were up for re-election, he would never have suggested we have to take a delay for an FBI investigation, right? Because, right, right. You know, because he was basically saying, I wouldn't have the backbone to do what Heidi Heitkamp just did. Um, so we're down now. Things are further complicated, it seems, by... Senator Daines from Montana, Steve Daines from Montana, who says, I'm not going to be there. So they're one. They're short one vote. They need well, one more. I, 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 I saw all that transpiring last night. And yeah. of course, you're referring to Steve Daines, whose daughter is, is getting, getting married on Saturday. Right. And he needs to walk her down the aisle. Yeah. Uh, she, she'd be probably pretty upset if he didn't show up. Uh, but apparently he has assured the White House. He has assured Judge Kavanaugh. He has assured Mitch McConnell that if they need his vote, he will be there. So I don't know how he pulls this off. I don't know where the wedding is, but you know, I assume it's back home. Well, I, I, I um, I don't. I've never met Steve Daines. I uh-huh. never heard of him until this morning. Okay, to tell yeah. the truth, but I can. I know. I, I can guarantee you he does not have the gift of bilocation. <laughs> right. Right. He's going to have to be one place or the other. Right. I don't think you can virtually walk your daughter down the aisle. No, so. <laughs> no, right. It'll be very interesting how, how that unfolds. Maybe they feel 
like they have an extra vote in their pocket, which could be the case. In 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 that case, they could let him go to the wedding. I I don't know, but that's one possibility that okay. they have the votes, right? And they don't need his vote. All right, uh, we will find out. Sure. Um, uh, as you say, in just uh, less than three hours from now, right? Maybe smoke out, flake, but, but right. the. We'll really, they have to vote. Well, they yes. don't have to vote, I guess. But this is the time when finally they're going to have to play their hand, correct? And this is the the argument from Republicans like Lindsey Graham who say, enough already. At this point, if you haven't made your decision in your own mind, you know, something's wrong with you. Right. Everyone, I think, in America has an opinion well, about about this. Now, we we may not have every single fact, but I think everyone has an opinion right now. And so Lindsey Graham said, let's vote already. Oh, I'm not paying attention to anything <laughs> Lindsey Graham says. But one thing I thought was very significant in yesterday, um, you know, remember Lisa Murkowski is the most independent of all, right? Yeah. I mean, she was thrown out by her own party. Beholden to no, no one. She came back on a write-in, right? Uh, and, um, and made it. Right. So she's actually <clears throat> beholden to no one. But here is, so here is... Um, a woman, her name is Kate Damarist, who's from Alaska. Yesterday, there were 150 women flew in from Alaska saw that. Yeah. to talk to Lisa Murkowski and to tell her <clears throat> to vote no. Kate Damarist, from, one of these women from Alaska, explains how significant this is. Senator Murkowski is our lone female senator in the grand state of Alaska. We have three people who represent nearly 800,000 people of our state. And when 150 women come to see you, you know it's a big deal. That's huge. 150 women flying in. Yeah, I say Alaska's big enough, but I mean, California, right, would be impressive enough. But Alaska, that's huge, right? And you don't think of Alaska as being that politically engaged either. So um, how do you read... Uh, you, you follow them all the time. But by the way, were you outside of this hearing room or this no, uh, no, FBI no, I room? Not. You know, no, I was okay. not. I, I know the room. It's the yeah. it's the skiff, and you probably know it well. It's where they read the intelligence documents. They yeah. get intelligence briefings, usually in terms of national security. Right. This is an unusual uh, circumstance here. So, um, how do you read Murkowski, Susan Collins, Jeff Flake? Well, if, when they came out of the uh, skiff or this secure briefing room, Jeff Flake said there was no corrob- – you played the clips – no corroborating evidence to support yeah. uh, Ms. Blasey Ford. Susan Collins called it a very thorough investigation. It was very – we heard almost crickets from Lisa Murkowski. I mean, she did not come with, with any sort of definitive response. And to me, that signifies perhaps Flake and Collins – are going to move forward with the confirmation. I think Lisa Murkowski uh, may be a holdout here. So she may be, you know, if I'm reading the tea leaves and you, you, you're reading into the comments, she may be the lone no vote on the Republican side. What do you say about people? Because a lot of people have said that Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins tend to vote similarly. Hmm, that's that's true. That is true. I mean, they, they realize that there's strength in numbers. And I know. thought that Jeff Flake and Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins kind of had a pact that the three of them were going to yeah. vote together. I had I have heard that too, but you know, when when you're reading into the comments uh, and you're looking at 
body language and things like that. I mean, Lisa Murkowski, and, and it seems like Lisa Murkowski is under a little more pressure than the other ones. Jeff Flake, of course, is is retiring. He doesn't have any concerns. Right. I think yeah. Susan Collins certainly could get primaried from the right. I mean, Susan Collins always has to navigate this weird thing where she can get primaried from the right, and then you know she could she could lose to a Democrat up in Maine. Uh huh. So uh, all right. So uh, Scott, you're, we're not going. Your job does not depend on this. Um, but <laughs> uh, you cover these people. You see them every day. You're a lot closer to it than I am. Um, it, what's your what's your bet that um, Kavanaugh will be confirmed or not? I think at this point in time, based on what we've heard so far and the confidence that's being exuded by Mitch McConnell, <laughs> of course he has to he could take bl- that posture. He, he could, could be, be bluffing. Sure, he could be bluffing, and I think he needs to take this posture. But uh, he is bluffing. <laughs> I I think he's going to get confirmed. I think he's going to get confirmed, but close. Oh, yeah, certainly. Maybe by one vote. I mean, it could be that close. I don't think they'll have to call in the vice president, but it could be, you know, a one vote advantage. And and let's remind ourselves, too, we've been talking about um, sitting senators. I thought one of the the strongest voices yesterday uh, was from a former uh, Supreme Court justice, Peter, if we can hear again, Senator, former Justice John Paul Stevens. Right. Who uh, admitted, let's play a second clip where right where he said, he was for Kavanaugh he, because he's a very reasonable guy, John Paul Stevens. And he said, Republican president, Republican nominee, seems like a good guy. He's got some experience on the on the bench. So uh, Stevens was for him until, as he explains. His performance during the hearings caused me to change my mind. Yeah, flat out that uh, uh, Brett Kavanaugh's angry rebuttal there in the afternoon really turned turned him away. And then a couple hours later, after John Paul Stevens came out and said that publicly, we saw an op-ed from Judge Kavanaugh appear in the Wall Street Journal addressing uh, his antics in that hearing and basically trying to reassure senators who will be voting on him that I can be impartial, I can be fair. Uh, I'm not necessarily going to be this partisan brawler that you saw in the Senate hearing, but I felt like my life and my my reputation and my family were under attack. And so as a son and father, uh, that's how I reacted. A, a little too emotional, he admitted. He said, too sharp, <clears throat> too emotional. I said some things right. I shouldn't have said, blah, right. blah, 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 blah. But he said them. Uh, have we ever seen a Supreme Court nominee go on Fox News no. to defend himself or go on the op-ed of the Wall Street Journal to defend himself, no, the, right? These are not these are not usual times. We've never uh, seen that. And so, you know. Uh, so, so some people are already talking, uh, Scott, about... Um, let's shift to the House for just a second. Sure. Okay, so uh, Kavanaugh, as you indicate might happen, gets on the court, then we'll just impeach him. Uh, could the House do that? The House could. Uh, I think leadership right now is being very cautious about how they approach any sort of impeachment question. Of course, there are sort of rogue members. Right. Uh, you know, there are rogue members like, you know, I, I won't name them, but you know, p- people have thrown out the I word quite frequently. And I think Nancy Pelosi tries to tamp it down. She knows that's probably not... Tamping it down for Donald Trump, what you're saying, tamping it down also for 
Yeah, uh, I mean, she right she knows that's going to be a headline if she says, yes, let's impeach. And the right will use that to gin up their base. In fact, I mean, if you look at some of the recent polling, this issue, and Donald Trump has sort of tapped into this and channeled this uh, anger and frustration over the Kavanaugh issue among conservative voters, they feel like this is a winning issue for them, uh, that this whole confirmation fight has fired up the conservative base and could be uh, beneficial for them in terms of the Senate. But when you talk to some folks who analyze the House races, uh, you know, not not so great. Right. Not so great. Especially the comments that we heard from Donald Trump in, in Mississippi the other day where he was mocking Blasey Ford and you know, mocking the fact that she couldn't remember certain details of, of the alleged assault. Uh, and so I, I talked to Leonard Lance, a uh, Republican from New Jersey, who's one of the most endangered Republicans this cycle, uh, represents a suburban, well-educated, uh, you know, wealthy district just outside of New York. And he said he completely disagreed with Trump's uh, attacks on Blasey Ford and, and was really distancing himself. I think that's illustrative of some of these vulnerable house people like Barbara Comstock just across the river who don't want to be uh, too, too closely tied to Trump and and this big fight over Kavanaugh. Have Republican House members, uh, do they reluctantly, maybe privately concede that they're going to lose control of the House this year? There certainly think, are some. I, I've talked to both. Have they given up or, <clears throat> or they still? They're not giving up, but you asked private, privately concede? Yes, some of them have privately conceded that this looks really, really bad for the House. But but my earlier point is that... For Republicans in the for House. For Republicans right. in the yeah. House, that the House is going to flip. But my, my earlier point was that Trump and the White House and certainly Mitch McConnell feel like this is a good issue for... The Kavanaugh fight was a good issue for the Senate where you have people like Heidi Heitkamp and Joe Manchin and right. Joe Donnelly playing defense here. And they feel like, you know, this may be the uh, issue that saves the Senate from from the Democrats. Uh, I think they're kidding themselves on that, by the way. I think that's total BS. Uh, they're putting it out there. Right. They want people to believe it. Right. Like it's total, we'll find out. But I, I mean, I think it, it, it could just have. It, look, if women come out, it seems to me, if women come out to vote in which they have already proven this year yeah. in unseen un, numbers ever before. Right. In turnout and in terms of number of candidates and all that, partly because of the Me Too movement and outrage of the Kavanaugh nomination, if they do that for House candidates, they're not going to do just the opposite for Senate candidates. Frankly, I believe anybody who believes that is nuts. I understand why Donald Trump is saying it, Mitch McConnell is saying it, and Kaylee McEnany for the RNC is saying it. But you know, so what? But um, but that raises the question: Is so the Democrats take control of the House? Who's going to be the speaker? Uh, if Democrats take control of the House, my bet is on Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I just don't see how Democrats can – I don't see how Democrats can have an internal fight over the speakership right after this huge wave election where <clears throat> Democrats are energized, they're excited. Right after that, you're going to have a big internal fight and throw out the woman who delivered. she would argue basically delivered and got you there. Right. So I think she stays on. Maybe she cuts a deal and says, I'll only stay on for a certain amount of time and then I'll pass the torch to somebody younger. But I think she stays on. Now, if just the opposite happened of what we think is going to happen and Republicans take control, Donald Trump has jumped in and said, I want Kevin McCarthy as speaker. 
Right. In recent, what happened to Jim Jordan? <laughs> Donald Trump has good relations with <clears throat> with McCarthy. all of the folks who are taking a look at the speakership: McCarthy, yeah. Steve Scalise, and Jim Jordan. But at at Trump Hotel a few days ago, Kevin McCarthy and Donald Trump were at a mm-hmm. big fundraiser, and Donald Trump indicated to the crowd that I really this like was- this guy, Kevin McCarthy. I want to work with him next. Yeah, there it goes. Jumping in, have jumped into a Republican primary not right. so long ago in Florida as well. Hey, Scott, it's great to see you. Listen, uh, you better get over there now because they're going to be voting pretty soon. you got to be <laughs> on day. the job. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, When Tom. we come back, Niall Stanage from this The Hill joins us. the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. We're down to the home stretch. Just two and a half hours from now, the Senate will be taking its first vote on the Brett Kavanaugh nomination, leading perhaps to a final vote Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. The Senate working on Saturday at about five o'clock in the afternoon, just when the Bill Press Show team is going to be having its party. At my house, and let me tell you, the party goes forward, vote or no vote. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? It is the Bill Press Show here on this Friday, October 5. So good to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us as as we come to you live from our nation's capital, just down the street from the United States Capitol building, where the senators will be convening at 1030 East Coast time on a Friday morning. Uh, for the cloture vote, that's a vote on whether or not this fancy term for whether or not they're going to close the debate or close the preliminaries and move to 30 hours of debate leading up to a final vote. Man, if it's complicated to follow, it's uh, good that we have people here who know what's going on, like Niall Standage from The Hill. He covers mostly the White House columnist, White House columnist for The Hill, but all things on uh, in the Congress as well. Hey, now it's good to see you. Good to see you too, Bill. Thank you for coming in. My pleasure. And uh, were you you were not out in Minnesota with the president last night? No, no, I'm actually going out for my first midterms road trip next week. I'm going to Erie, Pennsylvania, to see him do his thing on Wednesday night. Yeah, it's sort of the same thing each place, isn't it? Sort of. Well, it is. It's a rolling ro- rolling thunder kind of tour, isn't it? <laughs> it is a rolling thunder tour. Okay. So we'll get into it with Niall and with all of you. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Love hearing from you. Uh, lots to talk about. 
Uh, so hang in there, Niall and I and you. We'll get into all the issues of the day. But first, big headline is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. All right, Bill, I, I, I keep giving you these updates on the uh, Major League Baseball playoffs. Last night, the Atlanta the Braves play- taking on the... Were over. No? Okay. Well, the wild card situation oh. was over, but now we're in the actual playoffs, and the National League playoffs are underway, which saw the Los Angeles Dodgers taking on the Atlanta Braves. It was not close. The Dodgers won 6 to nothing, a total whoa, shutout whoa. of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, so that is one win for the L.A. Dodgers. I, we haven't talked about where you are with where your allegiance lies in the uh, in the in the major league. Baseball well, of course, playoffs. my Nats are the Nats our are Nats out. are out, right? The Cubs are out, and now the Cubs, Cubs are out. Guy. I would have been with the Cubs. The A's are out. So I guess I'm with the Dodgers. Oh man, I hate that. Giants were the Giants. The Giants aren't in it. Right. Sorry to say, Giants aren't in it. Yeah. So, anyway, the Dodgers are one win closer. One win closer. Let's go to Dublin. I used du- to be a big Dodgers fan when I lived in L.A., so that's uh, that's easy for me. I can't root for the Dodgers as a Nationals fan. Tommy Lasorda, come on. I like Tommy Lasorda, but as a Nationals fan, I cannot root for the Dodgers. I just can't you do You can't it. root for the Nats? They're not in it. <laughs> I know. Dude. I know. But they're, they're right. such rivals. Uh, okay, so let's go to Dublin because there is an issue with homelessness in Dublin. I did say this just for, for when Niall was here. And so one of the things that they're talking about doing to curb the homelessness problem in Dublin is hiring a 200-person cruise ship to put all the homeless people on the cruise ship, literally. They're planning to rent a private cruise ship to house the homeless. What are they going to do, just cruise around? Uh, yeah, they're just going to sort of send them out to sea. They'll still be able to get off of the boat every now and then. But they say that, that this is one of the solutions that they're looking at. Isn't that crazy? It is insane. When you, I mean, do these people have a choice? <laughs> well, we'll find out. Again, this is not the end-all, be-all. This is not the, the official solution, but this is one of the things that they're talking about, which seems like not the greatest idea, but, you know, hey. Well, you know, uh, all I can say is I'm really glad we don't have a homeless problem in Washington, D.C. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we might have to do something like that, too. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, finally, a senator with backbone, a woman senator with backbone. North Dakota's Heidi Heitkamp yesterday saying she is a big no vote on Brett Kavanaugh, no matter what the politics dictates. She says it's a vote of conscience. That's what she's there for, to vote to do what's right, not to do what's politically safe. Good for her. Hello, everybody. Here we are. It is the Bill Press Show on this Friday, Friday, October 5. So good to see you today. Thanks for being with us as we reach out to you coast to coast, in fact, all around the globe, uh, from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., joining you everywhere we can online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Joining you on the great free speech TV out there in TV land. You're looking good. And on the radio in Chicago and all the greater Chicago suburbs, 
uh, on uh, WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. Hello, hello, hello. Lots going on today. Need help to get through it all. Niall Standage rides to the rescue here from The Hill, White House columnist for The Hill. Niall, it's good to see you. And you, Bill. So as a White House columnist for The Hill, um, we had a briefing this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the first briefing in a long time now. Yeah. What's going on? Well, I think a couple of things are going on. I think that the White House is not particularly eager to give briefings, period, because they're not particularly eager to help uh, reporters, journalists. and The tensions there have been well documented. I also think what there, were there was one briefing in the month of September. I believe so. There was, yeah. was the, the one the other day was the first one since September the 10th, if mm-hmm. I recall correctly. Yeah. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's a long time. And the other thing I, I suspect is going on is just uh, an attempt to let President Trump be his own spokesperson, which he is, you know, via Twitter as well as via his um, life appearances, if we can use that that term, and so they walking after Marine One, right, most of the time, exactly, yeah. and can just stop and and t- either take some questions or just pontificate about whatever he wishes, and so the you know briefings are getting out of the way of that, but it's not uh, from a journal- journalistic perspective, obviously, it's not uh, really very welcome. Uh, right, right, and I mean, we were there, I was there, you were there. Um, most time under the Obama administration and under the Bush administration, the daily briefing was, mm. a, pardon me, an institution. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they went on too long. Sure. <laughs> uh, sometimes they started too late. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there was good information. Sometimes it was not. But mm-hmm. it was, you know, you, that you could count on it, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was an opportunity to ask valid and important questions. I know that people sometimes... Uh, deride the briefing. It certainly is not a flawless institution, as you know, on either side. There can be a bit of play acting sometimes from from our colleagues, as well as certain performances from the podium that uh, we don't approve of. Yeah. But it's uh, still a- an opportunity to ask questions that would not otherwise get asked or get answered. And, a, and an opportunity for them, I keep pointing out, to tell their story and to put their message out. And without that briefing, mm-hmm. then they have to look for other ways to do so, as you point out, for, for as far as Donald Trump, uh, he believes that he's their best spokesperson, right. press, press secretary, communications director, whatever. So right. I'm sure he doesn't see the need for the briefing at all. No, it takes the spotlight off him in a way, but yeah, uh, there we go. Now, um, I don't want to hold you necessarily responsible. Um, uh, oh, dear. This, this sounds is, ominous. But... but <laughs> <laughs> But I did see this morning, before we get into more of the news of the day, uh, that um, Donald Trump's golf courses are not doing so well, Niall, in turn, the, the great Turnberry course, where he went this summer, yes. right? Yes. Uh, to give it a shot in the arm. Yeah. They just reported they lost $4.5 million last year, the fourth year in a row that Trump's golf course yeah. has lost money. I mean, yeah. What's going on? I thought the Trump name was golden. I know, right? And he was the best deal maker in world history. Yeah. A, a, a narrative which also, of course, was um, 
rather cast into doubt by that very extensive New York Times story about his taxes and the amount of money that he'd received from his which father, was which was enormous. Huge. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the golf course in Scotland doesn't seem to be going uh, terribly well. I'm not sure how the one in Ireland is faring. It's in uh, Dunbeg in County Clare, and it's a more recent purchase. But certainly the Scottish one isn't uh, exactly shaping up brilliantly at this stage. I didn't know he had one in Ireland. So. Yeah, it's only in the last, I would say, shortly before he became president, maybe 2013, 14. Kind of time, uh huh. And uh, even with climate change, it's still not. It's not yet underwater. Is that? <laughs> it's surviving. It's surviving so far. In the one in Scotland, you may remember there was a whole battle about wind farms off the coast. Where where that? I'm not sure if it's Turnbury or he has a. I think a second golf course in Scotland, but he objected vigorously to a plan to erect wind farms in the ocean uh, off his golf course because he said it would ruin the view for people. <laughs> um. So uh, the president was last night, uh, again, every other day, sort of, he's out there and going to be doing this mm. through the midterms, um, on the road, uh, rallying up the crowds uh, in particularly where there's particularly Senate races that are uh, up for grabs uh, in Minnesota last night. And he took the occasion uh, to go out after former Senator Al Franken. What did he fold up like a wet rag, huh? Man. Man, he was gone so fast. He was gone so fast. I don't want to mention Al Franken's name, okay? So I won't mention. He was gone. He was gone so fast. It was like, oh, he did something. Oh, I resign. I quit. I quit. Wow. He was gone, and he was replaced by somebody that nobody ever heard of. So he just he just can't resist, right? The mockery right. and everything. But um, doesn't he seem to be saying? So what do you make of this? Al, his comments on Al Franken first. Well, it's peculiar. Is the first thing, and that's not uh, unusual <laughs> with this with this president. He seems to regard um, uh, bowing before allegations as a sign of weakness. I mean, that seems to be really what he's getting at. That somehow the idea that Franken would uh, resign under uh, allegations of groping, essentially, is is a sign of what did he say? Folding up like a wet rag. In other yeah. words, it doesn't. I think in D Donald Trump's mind, and this is my amateur psychology, it doesn't really matter <laughs> what you're accused of. It is weak to uh, to back down in any respect. And even if the things that you're alleg the, the allegations against you are, are serious or less serious, the point is that you have to uh, punch back at anything that occurs. Well, he does seem to point. be saying, I mean, um, again, what, no matter what you're accused mm -hmm. of, particularly when it comes to sexual assault, sexual mm -hmm. harassment, you don't ever admit it. You deny, you do what I did. Right. You deny, you call them names, you insult them, you threaten to sue them. Mm -hmm. You try to destroy their character. And, you know, and doing so as a sign of strength on, in yeah. his mind, or yeah, if you right. do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, even Melania came out and said, well, if you hit him, he's going to hit you back, right? It right. doesn't matter what, what, what it happens to be. But it's just kind of bizarre, right? It is. And it's also bizarre that he should marshal that argument to imply that Al Franken shouldn't have resigned, yeah, which is yeah. like presumably he wanted him to resign because he was a very liberal and uh, forceful senator. So it's, it's all a bit peculiar and confused. <laughs> As uh, which is the response we often have to 
uh, anything that Donald Trump Donald Trump says. Uh, to get away from Trump for just a little bit, mm. you um, not so much from Trump, but from the news of the Brett Kavanaugh news, mm. uh, because we've been Kavanaugh twenty four seven it seems for so long. Are you been talking about Steve Bannon? What the hell is he up to these days? <laughs> I mean, I thought he had sort of disappeared. And I mean, his big thing was. Roy Moore in Alabama, that was such a huge success. Yes, that was not one of his, not one of the moments that covered him in glory. It has to be said, back in Roy Moore, and of course, Moore lost. Um, the, so so Bannon is making a, a bit of a comeback, and as you alluded to, I've spoken to him a couple of times on the record recently. So he has this new group called Citizens of the American Republic, um, but that group is really intended to back Donald Trump and Republican candidates in the midterms and presumably beyond. I mean, his argument, in essence, is that it benefits Republicans to turn the midterms into uh, an, uh, a referendum on whether Donald Trump should be impeached or not. And his argument is that oh, Democrats... He, so he's stirring up the impeachment yeah. a pot in yeah. order to get Republicans to turn out the vote. Exactly. His argument is that uh, liberals and Democrats and people who are broadly left of center can't be any more fired up. You're not going to uh, persuade them not to vote because the mm -hmm. enthusiasm is so intense there. Therefore, you have to find a way to make um, either full-on Trump supporters back Republican congressmen who they previously have derided as rhinos or more moderate Republican voters uh, find a way to back Trumpian candidates. And Bannon believes that impeachment is one of the main ways to do that. So is he out there supporting candidates? I mean, I you, mm. you wrote about it. That's mm. how I know about it. I haven't seen any sign of it. Does he have any money? Is he, any, is, is he on TV with ads? Is he doing anything, or is he just a blowhard? So what he's one of the things he's done is that he's brought out a documentary uh, film, which I don't think would appeal to you or to your listeners. It's very uh, positive. I think Trump at War is the title of the. Um, mm -hmm. documentary and he intends to take that around the country as a way to sort of stir uh, people up he's done some polling but I don't believe so far that he has launched any uh, formal advertising things of that nature Is he still um, uh, in touch with Trump? Um, he's not directly in touch with Trump to the best of my knowledge no he does have uh, sort of influence by proxy in that he's still very plugged into those circles and you know in in fairness to Bannon, if we can put it that way, I remember him telling me about the impeachment idea a long time ago, and that has become increasingly murdered in Trump's own rhetoric uh, recently. So whoever Bannon is talking to is obviously getting word through in some fashion, but he's not. He has been exiled ever since his cooperation with that Michael Wolff book. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, uh, looking at the Trump White House. Um, things seem to have quieted down a little bit. There hasn't been, at least for the last week, much talk about firing John Kelly. Mm -hmm. and it looks like he may be there now to stay. Right. They're not even talking about firing Rod Rosenstein for the moment right. or Jeff Sessions. Uh, like, what's going on? Are, are calmer heads sort of prevailing, or is it just a law between storms? I suspect the latter. It seems to be that the Kavanaugh matter is dominating all else at the moment, pushing other things out of the news to some degree. The uh, question of whether the White House calms down, it, it has been 
I guess, overall, somewhat calmer, relatively speaking, in the past year than it was in the first year of the administration, when, of course, you had people like Mr. Bannon uh, in there and all sorts of infighting between him and yeah, others. Yeah, um, right. So uh, it does seem slightly calmer, but I don't think that suggests a full-on uh, change of heart or change of approach. Uh, and is Rosenstein secure or, like, Forever or for now? Or, uh, for, or for, through maybe just until the midterms are over? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the consensus view would be the last option. You mentioned the idea that his moment of greatest peril would arise once the midterms concluded. Uh, but the Rosenstein thing is just so almost impossible to predict because there seem to be all kinds of internal swings in the internal debate there as to what should be done or should not be done. With right. Um, and then Jeff Sessions, whose who <laughs> whose future may also lie in the balance. Huh? Yes, I would say so. I mean, clearly uh, Donald Trump has been very displeased with him, has made that displeasure known. Sessions uh, must get up every day thinking, let's just hope that he doesn't attack me today. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and, and sometimes that hope is in vain, obviously. There haven't been that many attacks within the past week or so, but it seems uh, unlikely that that calm will continue either. Yeah, um, and uh, if if you were to fire one, he sort of has to fire mm. both. I, I, guess, I would right? think so, yeah. 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 Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about, um, just a second here about, I guess, California politics, but it's interesting that Donald Trump's, Emphasis. I mean, he really sees his potential to helping these Republican candidates for Senate mm-hmm. and House. That's why his. I mean, his schedule is really mm-hmm. dominated right now by um, by uh, these campaign rallies. Um, and um, I guess he's going to continue to do that. Excuse me, one second. Peter got a little. Well, I just wanted focused. to mention. I just wanted to bring in mention yeah. a couple of comments while we bring in another guest here because we're on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. Uh, lots of different comments uh, from one person already saying, "When did the charges for tax fraud come out against Donald Trump, Mister Mueller?" That is something that uh, people really want to see. Uh, and I mentioned that we had our poll up earlier, our poll of whether or not Brett Kavanaugh would be confirmed. I just wanted to give an update. Uh, we are now at 58% say yes, 42% say no. It's still lopsided. Still pretty lopsided. So get out there and vote uh, on our Twitter page at BP Show. All right. Thank you, Peter. Uh, now standing with us from the Hill as a friend of Bill. Now, as I mentioned, I want to talk a little California politics mm-hmm. and very lucky because good friend has just stopped by from California, the head of the political science department at Sonoma State University, uh, also a political commentator for KCBS Radio in San Francisco and KTVU TV <laughs> Channel 2 in Oakland. David, David McQuan. Right? McEwen. McEwen. McEwen, sorry. No I'd, have been, I'd have been better at that pronunciation. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. But, uh, good to see you. Thank you for having me. It's Welcome a to, to town here. coming in. Thank so you. Uh, we haven't talked uh, much about California politics because um, even though <laughs> I know a little <laughs> bit about it. But this governor's race out there seemed to be lopsided. Is it as lopsided as people think? Uh, Gavin the, Newsom right. versus uh, John Cox. John Cox, yeah. So it, 
Gavin Newsom has a clear path uh, to winning here, but uh, certainly Cox and uh, Proposition 6, this is the repeal of the gas tax. That's going to draw Republican voters, some of those independent voters in the Valley. That's going to cut into a bit of Gavin Newsom's uh, lead, uh, if you will. But he has a clear path. I think I think the difficulty there is what happens with Gavin Newsom after he wins. He has very few relationships within the legislature. How do you get stuff done? He's promised everything to every group under the sun, so how do you actually deliver? But he's been lieutenant governor for eight years, so he hasn't he built some relationships there? What's the lieutenant governor do in California? Uh, wait for the governor to leave? I mean, uh, we, we teach political science. We don't even know what the, what the heck the lieutenant governor does. Uh, and he has built relations, obviously, uh, from his time back in San Francisco. But governing California, right, is uh, is, is wielding a, a lot of difficulty. And, and Democrats in the legislature, uh, Speaker Rendon and others, gave Governor Brown a pass. They wanted some success. Uh, what do you do with that relative to health care, transportation, uh, some of these other things? And really the problem continues to be in California, rapidly changing demographics combined with how to raise money and what to do. Republicans are largely irrelevant, but they are relevant at the local level. And that becomes important as they build their farm team down the road. Is John Cox the only, um, jump in anytime you want now. Here, is John I, I'm, not, I'm not so good as you two guys are on California <laughs> state <laughs> politics, but <laughs> by all means, continue. Uh, is uh, John Cox the only Republican on the statewide ballot? Well, there is a uh, stealth Republican on the uh, statewide ballot, and that is, uh, th- that's uh, Poisoner. Uh, Poisoner's running, Steve Poisoner's running for, uh, uh, let's see, I guess it is uh, insurance commissioner. Uh, is that, I, I think it's insurance commissioner. And Poisoner is running uh, as an independent. So this oh. is a new model. Remember that top two system, right, where you have yeah. Democrats going against Democrats, kind of that inter-party violence that we see on the U.S. Senate side, right? Kevin DeLeon running against U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein. Uh, and so Republicans are using that as a model to go after those voters. You've got uh, more voters registered in California as no-party preference voters than you have Republicans. They're really the endangered species in California, not in all places. But that affects uh, things down ballot. That will affect that red-to-blue effort uh, as Democrats go after uh, those uh, targeted seven seats. But it opens up other seats, like Tom McClintock's seat uh, in CD4. He's been debating his opponent, uh, Jessica Morse. Uh, that, that's a, a district that independent expenditures have gone up, and Democrats have expanded the map. It doesn't mean they win that seat, but they put it on the competitive side, especially with all that extra money that's out there that they but have. This jungle primary dial, is, mm. uh, I think it's crazy, but at mm-hmm. any rate... Uh, and. Uh, and usually we see that on the Republican side. We've had, yeah. if we look in the past, it's been Republican on Republican violence. We haven't seen mm-hmm. Dem on Dem violence. Mm-hmm. But California has become so blue that we're going to see more of this. And you've got uh, you've got to herd those cats. And so for Democratic legislative leaders, that becomes an issue. And the Democratic Party is changing in California, right? You've got Nancy Pelosi that we've talked about and what happens kind of moving forward. That generational divide. Bill, you're certainly familiar with this, given your time. <laughs> yeah. That generational divide and what's happening uh, and, and the types of Democrats that are coming forward in California is going to challenge uh, the party as well down the line. Right. And we also saw that, also saw that play out, uh, speaking now as former Democratic chair of California, in the when the Democratic convention refused to endorse Senator Dianne Feinstein. Mm. Been there since 1992, and they rejected her for re-election. Yeah, uh, and, and during the convention, they, they turned the music up in the middle of her speech, and she kept going, <laughs> uh, nonetheless. And then she I finally walked realize. off about three-quarters of the way through. She just threw her hands up and just walked off. <laughs> She said, "That's it. Okay." So it was it was a wild party, and you know that you would expect that with the Democratic Party in California with Senator Feinstein. Do you, the, do you think this is a, a broader question? Of course, but I mean, everyone expects Kamala Harris, I think, to run for the presidency. Do you think those kind of tensions in California and the strength of the left in California does that make it 
in any way easier for Republicans to kind of caricature national candidates from California or not necessarily? I think Senator Harris has a few challenges. No if she's ready for prime time, mm. right? Can she raise money? Can she run that national organization? She certainly is someone who is uh, the darling of the moment. Mm. She hasn't had to take a hard position on very many issues, and mm. she hasn't had to disappoint groups. And I think disappointing groups, that's the challenge for Gavin Newsom. Mm-hmm. That is the challenge also for governing. So you can run and promise. Mm. You can you can appear and, and say little uh, and sell the sizzle, but where's the stake? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's going to be the difficulty. And this is the broader question that Democrats have nationally. What's their identity headed into 2020? I think that's the challenge for them. I must say, I, uh, I, like, I know Senator Harris. I like Senator Harris. I think she's great, would make a great candidate, but um, she's a little, she, as you say, she's really untested. untested. So I saw her at a forum here in Washington on Wednesday, and um, to be fair, she was good, but she said really nothing new, mm. nothing newsworthy, nothing didn't make news, nothing. Uh, and she got a standing ovation. <laughs> and I thought, there you go, there this you is go. the politics <laughs> of the moment. So, um, California politics attracts people. Barack Obama was out in Southern sure. California uh, not so long ago to helping these candidates, particularly in Orange County. That looks like where there's we, a possibility. We, we could see the president out there trying to raise money for Republicans to be, blunt some of that red to blue right. kind of thing. That's and going yesterday on. it was former Vice President Joe Biden uh, who was down in Orange County. He said uh, again, as they always, every four years we say this is the most important election ever. <laughs> This is the most important election you've ever voted in, and it may be, God willing, the most important those of you young will have to vote in. And he had a comment about, um, of course, Donald Trump. Americans have faced down our share of zealots, of madmen, of ignorant ideologues, of hucksters who see public office as a way to make a buck off our backs. But we've never faced a moment like this. Never seen a madman like this one, says Joe Biden. <laughs> but he is focusing on those. It, 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 it's, it certainly is. I never thought we would see the day when the control of the United States House might depend on Democrats getting elected from Orange County, California. Orange County, uh, northern San Diego. Uh, San Diego County, uh, out in the desert. Uh, and but if there, there are really seats, this is not crazy. There are seats in play there. Yeah, all, all those seats, and also the changing demographics that we see in those districts so rapid. Uh, and you have to play this, I, I think, in the broader context of even the Kavanaugh hearings, and that is suburban women, suburban independent-minded women who might be, say, slightly blue, leaning Democratic, upset what's going on with the national conversation and what's happening with a variety of issues, particularly of concern to women. Do they turn out to vote? Young people, it's hard to say this as a college professor, they don't <laughs> vote at high levels. Uh, but but women in those suburban districts, in those exurbs, what we call those exurban districts, they play a huge mathematical role. Their power of their vote is much more substantial. That's the backlash. Now, we might see it in Republican states those red states where they, they actually you know kick out Democratic senators with that rallying cry that we've seen from some of the polling data the last couple of days. However, in the House, completely different dynamic, the, those local races, and that's where we'll see an important issue, Pennsylvania, upstate New York, New Jersey, and certainly in California, if the it, Democrats it, want to win the House. It will be interesting uh, now to see how the Kavanaugh right. nomination, whatever happens to the vote, yeah. the whole process and the whole conversation impacts the midterms. Yes, and absolutely. Both parties know it will. No, for sure. Um, and, you know, during the uh, testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, I was speaking to a female friend of mine in Britain who was, I don't know what her politics are, but she was talking about watching Dr. Ford testifying and thinking, that could be me or that could have been me. That's a, an experience that will be 
at least, well, unfortunately familiar to many women or at least that a, a, a scenario that they've perhaps run through in their heads at times. And so the kind of visceral power of that I think could be very serious and have very significant political ramifications. So, David, we are seeing the end, we think, of the political career of Jerry Brown. Oh, you think he's going to go gently into that fair wind, Bill? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I I think it's safe to say he's not going to run for political office again. But, boy, he is certainly, uh, you know, 16 years as governor, four years as attorney general, Eight years, I think, as mayor of Oakland. Uh, yeah, that's right. Secretary of State for four years. Which means he'll go to Iowa and New Hampshire at least eight times. Just, <laughs> ju- just, just to titillate about what's going to go on. Just to be but in the national say, conversation. It's been a remarkable career. It has been a remarkable career. And and uh, uh, political transformation for him, that's been constant. Yeah. He's talked certainly about different issues and tried to be cutting edge. He's not going to go gently into that fair wind because Democrats need national leaders. Uh, they need leaders that can uh, talk about some of those issues and raise money. This is certainly uh, something, and someone who can capture the media's attention, that's Jerry Brown. If he were to anoint someone like Kamala Harris, that would be an important element. He's not going to anoint Gavin Newsom because of the personal dynamics between them. But nonetheless, it shows the importance of California rolling forward. And Jerry Brown, someone who can appeal to Main Street in the Midwest, the flyover country that we derisively call. And, and that's an important element for the new type of Democrat, and it moves the party. It's not a Bill Clinton-type Democrat, but it yeah. certainly is. I mean, this is a guy who doesn't like to spend money, but he is uh, obviously the smartest guy in the room. Just ask him. Uh, yeah, I can tell you he doesn't like to spend money. I picked up many meals for Jerry Brown. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and others, I might add, too, Bill. <laughs> David McEwen, it's great to see you. Thanks for stopping by. Well, thank you very much uh, for having me. It's and, a pleasure. Uh, hello to all of our friends out in Sonoma County, and uh, particularly at KSRO in, Washington, in uh, Santa Rosa. Thank you. Uh, Niall Stanley stays with us. As a friend of Bill, we're going to be joined by Van Newkirk from The Atlantic. We'll talk more about the uh, news of the day. Quick break. We'll be right back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. Hey, you got it on a Friday, October 5. Here we go, The Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us today as we wrap up the week, wrap up this Friday broadcast, and move into just a little less than two hours now. Uh, the first vote, uh, the cloture vote, on the nomination of Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. We're brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, the one and only Leo Girard, United Steelworkers. Uh, Yeah, they're wondering where all the benefits are of these uh, Donald Trump tariffs on steel. Uh, They thought they were going to see more, and in fact, they're seeing like kind of nothing. Uh, but uh, the steelworkers doing great work, uh, very active in the midterm elections. You can find out all about it by checking out their website at usw.org. Uh, and let me give you one final reminder. Before you go into the weekend, you got to uh, check out our website at billpressshow.com and find out about my new book, Trump Must Go, just out a couple of weeks ago. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump, and then one, you better be careful, maybe one to keep him. Uh, On our website, you can find out where you can get a signed copy of the book, in addition to, you know, Amazon and your local bookstore and all of that. Uh, But also, you can add your reasons to my top 100. There are certainly more reasons every day that pop up. Uh, Check it out, billpressshow.com. Now, Standish from The Hill, White House columnist for The Hill, 
is here as a friend of Bill this entire hour. Good to have you with us again, Likewise. Niall. Good to be here. And we're joined by Van Newkirk, a good friend, staff writer for The Atlantic. Hello, Van. Good hey. to see you. So I was uh, uh, a part, took part in The Atlantic Festival this week a little bit, was down there, and it was a, it's a great program. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many years in a row now, but it's always a good show. Uh, great lineup of speakers. I was there for Secretary of State John Kerry, Senator Kamala Harris. Uh, I know Lindsey Graham was there. I don't know why. But yes, anyway, he was. He was there. Didn't get a very good reception from the crowd. <laughs> they booed him quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> but I thought the interview was really... Uh, it, 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 he, I think, I've always sort of had the... Uh, been wondering how somebody so vehemently sort of opposed... Uh, kind of to Trump during the primary in 2016 had become basically his number one lieutenant in the Senate. And he lays it out pretty well in that interview. You know, he says the people of South Carolina voted for Trump. And that's what basically what he's going to give them. Um, and, and it's <laughs> that was the interview. You know, um, it, it lays it out pretty starkly. Right. Uh, and also, uh, Lindsey Graham is up for reelection in 2020. Exactly. Uh, and uh, he will uh, he definitely wants to re- assure his reelection. Unless, Niall, he becomes the attorney general in the meantime. Well, he's auditioning for something or other. I mean, it could be that he's starting his primary campaign very early, to Van's point about South Carolina having voted so heavily for Trump. But clearly, uh, we were briefly talking before the break, Bill, about the possibility that there may be a vacancy for attorney general sometime soon. And uh, Lindsey Graham certainly seems to be uh, to some degree positioning himself for that. Yeah, some people felt that there were that we saw two job interviews uh, last Thursday in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Brett Kavanaugh interviewing for a job on the Supreme Court and Lindsey Graham interviewing for a job in the Trump administration. <laughs> he did. A, I mean, uh, it, it definitely didn't seem organic. Uh, it were definitely some uh, hugely performative there. Um, also at the Atlantic Festival. Uh, he is at least uh, thinking ahead to uh, perhaps his tenure leading the judiciary. Um, and that's all that's on his mind. It's really just, I want to say, interesting watching him become the Senate Trump. Yeah. Right. Uh, you have been uh, doing a, a, a lot of work recently on following, the, as we all have, the Kavanaugh uh, confirmation process. Um, are there any issues related to race that people should be aware of or beware of uh, vis-a-vis Kavanaugh? Definitely. Um, I th- so a lot of this rightly focuses on uh, women's rights, on the current Me Too moment, um, and, and I think actually sort of the carrying on of the, the hearing, uh, the back and forth, the allegations have put much more of the focus on what happens in the hearing rather than what's going to happen, you know, on the court, on the court right? But we know that uh, I think there will be challenges to a uh, row, uh, and we know that. Um, and we know there are ways to curtail abortion rights that don't involve necessarily a, a returning row. Um, those affect black women <laughs> more heavily than, other, than, than anyone mm. else, right? But also, you think about voting rights. Uh, voting rights are, I think, probably actually during the f- his first uh, assuming the confirmation happens, which I would probably bet on that that happening, um, 
assuming that that takes place, it looks more likely in the short term that serious challenges to voting rights will actually come up before serious challenges to abortion. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are already still cases on gerrymandering on voter ID that are percolating through federal courts that have not yet been resolved by the court um, that seem to be waiting for it. I think Wisconsin is still open. They sent it back to Wisconsin, right? Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. they decided. Maryland, Pennsylvania, Maryland, still up. Um, And also. Uh, mm-hmm. that was for the round of maps drawn in 2011. Uh, the next census is 2020, <laughs> and uh, we'll have redrawing mm-hmm. in three years. Uh, and also the census itself, the citizenship question, uh, those uh, things are still being con- you know, heard before the courts. Uh, there's still some really, I think, significant uh, uh, things that will happen with regards to the citizenship question, with regards to how the census will actually uh, capture the demographics of this country, if it will be a proper census at all. Uh, Those are things that are still on the table and still will uh, probably at some point come before the Supreme Court. Um, And it seems uh, Roberts has been looking for uh, a a fifth solid person um, to basically go against this idea of using, to, to, to cancel what, Republican establishment has uh, called quotas. So these kind of proactive measures of uh, ensuring, not not after the fact, uh, so much of the Voting Rights Act that we understand it today, much of affirmative action, they use proactive measures. They uh, they, they compel uh, private actors right. to, to act in a, a way that's just, right? Mm-hmm. It's, they intend not to let everything come down to lawsuits after the wrong has been after people have been wronged because they've then already been disenfranchised. Yeah. Um, but this looks like the court that will completely uh, turn everything over to that retroactive model where people will have to sue after they've been wronged. Right. Which which now raises the question of, uh, it seems to me, um, that there are, no matter what happens to this vote tomorrow, um, today or tomorrow, that there will be some lasting impacts to this uh, out of this nomination process. Oh, sure. O- on several institutions, among mm-hmm. them being certainly the United States Senate, which I believe has suffered a reputation, the Supreme Court, which you have written about and which you were just talking about, uh, and also the FBI. Sure. Uh, I mean, yes to all of those. I think that to your point about the court, an issue that a lot of people picked up on was uh, Brett Kavanaugh's testimony, which was not only kind of angry and somewhat emotional, but was very much positioning himself in really quite an overtly partisan fashion. Explicitly Talk- partisan. Yeah. 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 Talking about the idea that it was a sort of revenge of the Clintons to try to do him in uh, and really making clear that he would be a Republican on the court. Previously, rightly or wrongly, we have... Um, tried to endorse this notion that, yes, people might have a conservative or a liberal view of jurisprudence, but once a, a, you know confirmed to the court, they would rule as the fact or as the law dictates. That doesn't seem, frankly, to be a plausible argument in Brett Kavanaugh's case at all. No. And uh, that had an impact uh, on one American in particular that we heard from yesterday, what I thought was extraordinary, to hear from a retired justice of the Supreme Court, uh, uh John Paul Stevens speaking to reporters down in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. No, I don't think it's the best we can do. We, we certainly ought to be, do, be able to, 
to do better because it's an issue of credibility that should be resolved on its merits, not on the basis of uh, political speeches. So not the best we can do. And then he points out, to your point, about uh, Kavanaugh's opening testimony, uh, not the first round, but the second round, where he followed Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. And up until that point, uh, Justice Paul Stevens, John Paul Stevens, was just saying, okay, I may not like him, but, you know, he's Trump's nominee. This is the process, da, 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 da. That, that testimony changed his mind, as he points out. His performance during the hearings caused me to change my mind. Yeah, there it is. He saw him and said, uh-uh, we don't need that temperament on the court. Temperament does is an issue, Van. Temperament's an issue. Um, again, I think the part of that temperament is you can't take it away from the partisanship, right? It's not just partisanship. Mm. This is Fox News. This is a person who has absorbed, also who was involved in the Clinton, <laughs> in in yeah. sort of this right-wing um, creation of a Clintonian conspiracy, right? Who was deeply involved in that in the first place, and I think- Working for Ken Starr. Right, mm-hmm. in, a, mm-hmm. in another lifetime, if had these allegations not come come forward, his mission in confirmation would be to prove that he was not carrying on that torch on the court. And he does not care about that at all. Right? <laughs> yes. And so, like, uh, the, the, the demeanor um, sort of – people now are saying he had the op-ed now in the Wall Street Journal where, where, he's, he's, where he's defending it. You know, I was angry. I was upset. But the whole point of having a justice, right, is, is okay, say – Something related to that, well, he'd probably recuse himself, but say something where we do have a another uh, deeply partisan uh, thing that's connected to all these conspiracy theories that comes before the court. Say it's voter fraud. Say it's his idea of, a, of, of this really conservative, uh, deep mm-hmm. con- conspiracy about three million people, uh, mostly immigrants voting, right? That comes before the court. Can you be confident that the ninth justice now is going to be an impartial arbiter? Uh, you can not just based on conservative principles, but based on what the sort of shadow Fox News establishment believes has to be true against the law. You know everything. Can you can you be sure that's going to be the case? And in fact, in fact, now he even said uh, like threatening uh, that what goes around comes around. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. That was you a know, threat. Based, that was a threat saying. I'll get if I get on the court. I'll get you, right? Mm-hmm. I'll get you, which unheard of. Yeah, before. yeah, absolutely. And not to sort of engage in too much <laughs> rampant speculation, but I was actually talking during the week to someone who's somewhat acquainted with Clarence Thomas, and the argument that this person was putting forth was that Clarence Thomas was so embittered by the confirmation mm. process and believed himself to be defended only by people on the right that. At least this person's hypothesis was that Thomas himself moved farther to the right than he had previously been, uh-huh. partly to you know exact retribution on people who he thought had treated him unfairly. Right. Peter, uh, with a little breaking news. Yeah, I hate to change the topic, but just a little bit of breaking news: the economy, uh, the economic uh, numbers oh, yes. are out, as we know. Uh, the economy added 134,000 jobs in September. That is down from 270,000 in August. But here's the big picture. <laughs> The unemployment rate is now 3.7%. That is down from 3.9% in August. That is the lowest unemployment rate that we have seen in America since 19. 
1969. Wow. Yeah. 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 Think, no. think we know who's going to be talking about that or oh, tweeting about it fairly soon. I think I'm surprised we don't have the tweet out already. Yeah. Uh, I might point out, the, so this is, oh, maybe you have it there, the number of months in a row where we've had positive job performance, it is almost 100 or whatever. Uh, 18 of those uh, were un, have been, or 19 maybe now, under Donald Trump and all the rest under Barack Obama. So thank you, Obama, I just was point out. But it, it it is stunning to me that this economy and heartening just continues to grow almost no matter what happens in the news. Mm. You know the, the the economy at least if you uh, um, so, uh, from that pr- uh, perspective, uh, job growth and wages are starting to grow a little bit and un- unemployment down. It's good news. I'm still watching wages. I'm still a skeptic of of this recovery. Um, I would like to see. Robust wage growth before yeah, I can. It's certainly not robust. Course. It's just been inching um, up, but yeah, uh, the unemployment numbers are good. But I, I would love to see uh, the sort of um, structural unemployment um, change and also the wages change, but, but because I think those are sort of going to be, and I'd like to see homeownership increase too. Those are three things uh, where I, I think if there is another recession around the corner, those would be the underpinnings of it, and. Uh, I don't know if we've really kept an eye on those things recently. Yeah, no. and by the way, the, with this, it, it, you couldn't call it a booming economy, but a continued recovery, the income inequality keeps getting right. wider right. and wider. The gap keeps getting wider and wider. There's no right. doubt. Sure. There's right. no doubt that all of this success, mm-hmm. economic success, is mm-hmm. not shared equally across the across the board. But right. you do see some of the pressure is actually, I think, changing corporate uh, attitudes. You saw the Amazon thing. You see the pressure now against McDonald's. I think there will be some moves uh, to uh, hmm. provide higher wages, to provide more employee benefits, and that's a direct result of economic, of, of political and uh, activism challenges right. to those structures. It was probably not a coincidence, uh, Niall, that the first that the same day, or maybe the day after, that Jeff Bezos was rated the wealthiest person on the planet, he turned around and gave everybody who works for him a $15 minimum wage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, if you're working for Amazon, you'd prefer more money rather than less money. I'm not sure being the richest man or, you know, whatever what Bezos is perceived to be worth these days, I'm not sure exactly how much you're celebrating that he's had the largesse to give you $15 an hour. But nonetheless, I mean, I'm not at the same time. It's You know, obviously, if you're working those jobs, better to get 15 than 12 or 10. So fair enough. Yeah, it was it was a big move because it was a, you know, Amazon and then Bezos, yeah, with, uh, even part time employees and, mm-hmm. and everyone. So I'm going to go back to the to, to the institutional thing because certainly as we've talked about the court is about. I think the United States Senate has too. I mean, it is usually the old famous Ben Franklin analogy that you know the the House is the the cup of coffee, but the Senate is the saucer. You put the coffee in the saucer, let it cool a little bit, and take your time and do things very deliberately and not in a rash, harsh partisanship. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, it certainly hasn't been true with this nomination. Yeah. It's been everything but. The Senate has removed or reduced or disabled pretty much all of the mechanisms now 
that make it the slower chamber, right? So, um, and it's also the chamber that's the least representative. So, hey, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the people who are in the majority now, I think, represent, uh, if, if Kavanaugh's confirmed, represent something on the order of 30% of Americans, which is just, you know, swell. I don't know how far you could go back. I should have done this before the show, but to find out when was the last time that a Supreme Court nominee, which looks like it may be the case here, got zero votes from the opposition party. Yeah. I mean, so far, Joe Manchin's the only holdout. So it'll be either every Democrat or every every one but one. I th- I think it will be every Democrat voting against Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. That That's unheard of. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that that has ever happened before. You know, not to be too sort of uh, downcast about it, but I think that the Senate is in behaving that way, reflecting where the country is at, where it is increasingly polarized and people feel that they belong to different teams or groups. And we see that splintering in the media and in all sorts of forms of popular culture as well as in politics directly. Yeah, the Senate would like to style itself the world's finest deliberative body or whatever that phrase is, but it's becoming increasingly like a like a 100 member House of Representatives where partisanship is much more clear. Definitely. How's the change? You're asking, how will it change? Um, well, no. How, if people want to change it, how will it change? I guess you just oh. got to get rid of some of the people who were there. Huh? 2018. Uh, I think, <laughs> I think uh, November 6th. There are yeah. some uh, opportunities. Some opportunities yeah. for Democrats, and I think and, it's it looks uh, likely that that not likely, but it looks possible. We'll right. say possible that the change will happen in the Senate. Okay. And where is J. Edgar Hoover when we need him? I mean, you know, it's like (laughs) the idea that in his day, the FBI would have ever undertaken an investigation and say, okay, we're going to put our brand on this. This is an FBI investigation, but we'll only talk to the people the White House tells us we're allowed to talk to and will only take as much time as the White House gives us. And then we'll put our brand on it and say, this is our work. I think it's so... Um, disgusting, and I, I'm just amazed that the FBI would go along with that. But the executive is consolidating, um, and I think that's what we'll see uh, over the next couple of years. Uh, it's been a long-term trend, probably since the death of Hoover. Actually, um, the, the executive the FB- is consolidating the other departments as well uh, within it. Um, it's much more top-down. The FBI is actually one of the last holdouts. And uh, looks like it's not anymore. And, you know, Donald Trump, who says that the FBI is nothing but a political operation. I mean, he's been accusing him of that. Um, Democrats say the same thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And they said it about James Comey, who is now idolized. But at the time, you know, that uh, Comey, look, Lanny Davis wrote that book that Comey cost Hillary Clinton the election just by that second reopening of her uh, email investigation. Mm-hmm. And now being accused of the same thing by following, letting the FBI dictate this uh, this Kavanaugh investigation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to to Van's point, I think there's this sense now that that <laughs> that various bodies should simply take political instruction, really, and that they should follow that that the that the gaining or the winning of political power entitles you to direct bodies to operate in a certain way. And in fact, it's not purely the executive per se. I should have uh, looked up the quote before we came on air, but I I recall Trump saying something not so long ago about winning the Supreme Court, the idea that, that a party 
won the Supreme <laughs> Court, not merely won the right to nominate judges, but that it was a battle. And if you if you won a presidential election, that means you could then move to to win the court for your side as well, which is not great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you've been we've talked a lot when you've been in before about health care. Yeah. Uh, it seems that so first of all, Obamacare is still alive. Still chugging. Yeah. <laughs> People don't. Don't talk about it that much anymore, and you know, Donald Trump gives the impression that it's gone, but it's still a lot of people signed up, and there's still a lot of support for some features of Obamacare. Yeah. Uh, well, majority support for the bill overall still. Uh-huh. Obamacare support is steady in the uh, mid-50s, um, and, but the big piece of it now that's become part of the election is the uh, pre-existing conditions provision, the ban on uh, insurance uh, providers f- for denying people coverage yeah. uh, based on pre-existings and also for uh, raising their rates and denying them specific services for those conditions. Um, people like not being uh, denied coverage uh, because they have diabetes. You know, like this is a, <laughs> this is a thing um, that... And an amazing number of Americans do have what would qualify as a pre-existing sure. condition. Yes, yeah. and... So over the course of your lifetime, you're likely to have one. Mm-hmm. Um, it, right. It's it's the, so, the yeah the math. So it's interesting that uh, the Trump may have succeeded where Obama didn't in in making Obamacare popular. <laughs> well, I mean, I think taking away things yeah. from people that they rightly have come to expect is a politically perilous thing to do, and I think Republicans have learned that over time. Yeah. Uh, right. It's 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 easier to give them than it is to take take away. Right. Yeah, always. Absolutely. Great to see you. Van Newkirk from the Atlantic, theatlantic.com and now Standish from the Hill, thehill.com. Thank you both for coming in. Thanks. Thanks. Excellent discussion. And that kind of wraps it up for us this week and this Friday. We'll see how that vote goes in about an hour and a half. And then the vote tomorrow, and we'll talk about it on Monday. See you then. Have a great weekend. This is The Bill Press Show.